here with us today we have melissa dorman how you doing melissa doing good doing what good. are you about to do about the cold plunge in this really cold cold plunge <laughs> it's even colder than the regular cold plunge that you do isn't it yeah by 10 degrees Ooh, all right well have at it <laughs> all right here we go here we go Whew. In she goes. Woo! Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> yes, feeling the burn. Mm -hmm. Feel the burn. Woo! Those arms are getting a little lonely uh, above the water. Let's get them in. Oh, yeah. Woo, now we're really feeling it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is this is cold. This is very cold. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. It's yep. It's, I, I would make it warmer, but then it wouldn't then it would just be a plunge. Melissa, yes. <laughs> what's the hardest part about being a female entrepreneur? Ooh. You know, my brain's not working too well at the moment. Let me just concentrate <laughs> on that question. Um, okay, I think the hardest part about being a female entrepreneur is that regularly people don't take me seriously. Mm. Uh, they think, they underestimate me. Underestimate. Yeah, pretty regularly. And they um, they look to whatever man is standing in the room mm. and they ask him the questions that should be directed at me. And it just gets really awkward because I tend to know the answer more. And so, yeah, entrepreneur as a woman, it can be really challenging because uh, constantly being underestimated, uh, it, it's frustrating. It's I'll frustrating. take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. no, but, I, I, you know. I feel you. All right, that was our cold question. Melissa's about to stick it out. Welcome to Frozen Millionaires, the show where we submerge successful people in ice-cold water, then sit them down to talk about how they've achieved success. I'm your host, George McCleary, and I have a penchant for ambition, for entrepreneurship, and for watching my friends suffer in cold water. No tech CEOs or Wall Street titans here. These are the self-made millionaires next door, and they're fresh out of the cold plunge and telling their stories. What's up, friends, and welcome to episode 10 of Frozen Millionaires. Today on the show, we're joined by another all-star of the Portland real estate scene, Melissa Dorman. Now, I've been a fan of Melissa's ever since I saw a presentation she did a while back, and I became a fan because it was clear to me that this girl knew how to hustle, and she also knew seller financing. And if you know me, you know I love seller financing. And that's essentially when the seller becomes the bank. They own the building outright with no mortgage, and then you buy the building and make payments to them. It's a great tool for acquiring real estate, especially in today's higher interest rate environment. So the hard part about this process is the trust factor. More often than not, the seller needs to get to know you. You have to earn their trust and convince them that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And this is where the personal side of real estate investing comes into play. If you're going to succeed, people need to know, like, and trust you. And if you're a trustworthy person and you do what you say you're going to do, then generally things work out for you. Especially in this day and age where everybody's so hyper-connected, word just travels fast. Melissa has leveraged the power of trust and relationships masterfully. And it's not just because she's trustworthy. It also is because her heart is in the right place in her deals. Uh, yeah, the objective is to make as much as you can on these real estate deals, but there's often more to it than that. The bottom line is important, but with Melissa, it's clear to see that it's about the triple bottom line. And those three bottom lines are people, planet, and profit. Success in business traditionally relates to financial success, and Melissa has achieved this. Otherwise, she wouldn't make the cut for the podcast, right? But as you no doubt heard me say in the very first episode of this podcast, 
I and all of my guests roundly reject the rich asshole archetype. We aspire to be a brand of business people that understand that capitalism and the good of the many can go hand in hand. So with that in mind, here's my conversation with Melissa Dorman. Here in the studio, we have my friend, Melissa Dorman. How are you doing, Melissa? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for coming in. So we're going to hear all about your story today, but uh, you're somewhat of a celebrity in the Portland real estate scene. I just got to get that out of the way right, <laughs> right away. But um, I'm dead curious about your story because you are a true rags to riches. Mm. Am I right about that? Yeah, that is That is very cool. I think... Why don't we start off with you just telling everybody who you are, what it is that you do, and where you are today. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I am currently a real estate broker. I have a team of agents at Living Room Realty. Um, that's what I do with most of my time. And then I also own uh, 32 rental units, and I acquired those over the last six years to attain that financial freedom goal. Um, and... Yeah, so that's kind of like who I am and, and what I'm doing these days. So real estate brokerage, real estate investment, basically. Yeah, yeah those awesome. two sides, yeah. Something I know quite well, although I never really built out the brokerage side of the business. I'm going to have to ask you about that. Yeah. So, and but you've owned, owned 32 re rental units. That's amazing. Yeah. So And some of those are out of state, is that right? Yeah, 20 of them are out of state. How do you manage that? How is that working out? Yeah, I have a property manager for my out-of-state property in, in Ohio, but then the 12 units that are in Portland, I, I self-manage myself. It doesn't take... You're self-managing those yeah, locally. It's not, yeah. it's not hard. No, about five hours a month, maybe. I'm guessing they're like class A, class B. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great okay. tenants, great locations. I've learned that the hard way around here. <laughs> if you're going to own real estate in Portland and you're going to rent it out, make sure it's class A or class B. That's my the more you know moment for today. 100%. <laughs> so, okay, so you're, you're kicking ass in real estate investment and brokerage um why don't you just take us back because mm -hmm. that's what i'm really curious about the humble beginnings so um yeah. are you are you from here originally so originally from uh, long beach california uh grew up with a really middle class working class family parents were in construction i didn't know anything about money uh which is really how i got started honestly my my dad uh, got really sick with alzheimer's and my parents were underprepared to say the least for retirement had no savings had no game plan this is when you're how old uh, at this point, I was in my late 20s. Late 20s. Yeah, late okay, 20s. well, how about before that? Your oh, childhood. Okay, before that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Take us way back. Way back, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, way back. Okay, so, yeah, I grew up in Long Beach. You know, most of my friends from my original neighborhood, they got caught up in either gangs or jail or early pregnancy or, uh, you know, it was a, it was a dims dismal uh, start for, for most folks. And really? I really um, was fortunate. My parents really cared about education. So the whole way through, they put me through private education. And so I had this contrast at school. I could see, you know, people who are driving BMWs and have their life together and I'd go home and it would be the hood. <laughs> it would be rough. And so I saw both sides of that. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate that my parents put me into private school because it really did help me understand that there was a way out of the neighborhood. Were you on some kind of scholarship or were they just scraping to make ends meet um, to make pay your tuition? Yeah, they were scraping to make ends meet. I, I remember my mom worked out some deal with her employer. She took a really low salary and they paid for my my high school education in exchange basically she worked for my high school education wow is this like a girl's school or co-ed or it was a private christian school yeah it was it was pretty expensive at the time and i'm really fortunate they made those sacrifices wow very cool so then you finish high school you go to college or yeah i went to college went to another christian university uh really really did well there figured out um you know coming from the hood kind of figured out okay how do what is white culture what do they value what is what is it that i need to do 
to how do switch. I fit in as a white person? Yeah, how do I fit in? It was a strange question, but I, I figured it out in, in college and I, I started uh, understanding white culture and, and code switching. And I, I started to realize that, you know, even though I came from really humble beginnings, nobody needed to know that as long as I was intelligent and I worked hard and I had good ethics, uh, I could I could stand out. Very cool. And where'd yeah. you go to school? I uh, went to Azusa Pacific. A small, Azusa Pacific? Yeah, a small Christian college. And then I ended up going to UCLA for my graduate degree. Oh, what's your graduate degree in? Um, I'm a licensed social worker. So I got a social work, master's social work at that Is that, that so? Yeah. yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. So, you, so you finish up. And uh, what are you first doing in your adult, in your adult life post-college? So post-college, the first thing I did actually is I moved to live in a slum in India which sounds pretty drastic. <laughs> I'm glad we went back a ways because this sounds this sounds interesting. So you're a, you graduate from undergrad from this Christian college you think I know. Yeah. I'm going to go live in a slum in India. I had I had a real um I guess transformation in college where or I wanted to give back and I wanted to do meaningful work and so I ended up getting into like social sociology, humanitarian work, that sort of thing. And as a result of that, I ended up in the slum in Kolkata helping women out of sex trafficking for a year. And it was amazing experience. That sounds heavy. It was super heavy. And honestly, what I learned from that experience was that I wasn't being my authentic self. I was there for all the wrong reasons. It sounds funny to be doing charity work out of vanity, but that's kind of what I was doing is I was there to prove something. Huh. What were you trying to prove? You know, so I, I came back home and I realized the reason why I was there is I was actually gay. <laughs> and I was not wanting to confront that. And because I had grown up in this Christian environment, went to school my whole life. My parents are Christian. I was super Christian at the time. I just really wanted to be accepted by that Do community. Do you think that was like repressing yes, those feelings inside totally, of you? Totally. I didn't even acknowledge it until I got home from India and I fell in love with my my well eventually ex-wife <laughs> uh, yeah. interesting so you went so you went over there like um am i is, was it more like a clout play or like uh or like wanting to uh i guess self-actualization yeah. but then you, you wanted to do something right yes but at the same time you ended up figuring out kind of who you are exactly it was it was a transformational experience understanding that i was there for the wrong reasons but i didn't know what i was compensating for until i got back and then i realized oh well, I'm gay. <laughs> so no wonder I'm like living. And it just hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Yeah. I realized, you know, I, I met my ex-wife when I got back. I was finally just open to, you know, who am I and what do I want? If I'm mm. here living in a slum in India, so people admire me, then who am I underneath all of that? And I realized, oh, it was, I was gay and I was scared of that. And so then I was able to actually see that and start exploring my sexuality. And it actually led to me being my more true authentic self, which is the starting point of building wealth for, for my journey, at least. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So once you're uh, your authentic self and then your, ne- your next thing you think of is, uh, okay, how can I become independently wealthy? <laughs> <laughs> but not quite that fast, but similar. So I, I got back from India. I spent a year there and um, came back trying to explore what I wanted to do. I decided I wanted to get into a social work program. And around that same time, you know, I got through my social work program, got my master's, and my dad started exhibiting symptoms of Alzheimer's. And he was older at the time. Yeah, yeah, he was in his 70s, and my family was just completely unprepared for mm. taking care of him. And so Financially, financially virtually, yeah. spiritually, everything. Yeah, the whole thing. They just weren't ready for it. And so what ended up happening is as he got sicker and sicker and needed real full-time care at home they didn't have the money for that and so we had to do something that i'm I'm not proud of but we uh we went to our last resort which was to ask my then homeless and drug addicted older sister to move in with my family and take care of my dad the last two years of his life holy toledo yeah 
I mean, was that good for her? Bad for it him? Was. Good for him? Uh, you know, it was good for her. It, it provided some stability. She really loved my dad. She took very good care of him. But in an ideal world, my dad would have had a much more dignified ending, I think. Wow. And so if she was homeless at the time and then she went to go live and take care of him, mm. she had a home. So that was good. But yeah. did, she, did she remain like addicted to drugs and mm-hmm. doing the self-destructive yeah. cycle? Yeah, and she's, I think, trying to get off the streets now still, even though years and years later, um, by providing care to somebody else. So she's she's in her process of trying to become sober and well. But yeah, at the time, it was it was a real eye-opening experience that money matters. Uh, and if you don't have it, you have to make some really hard decisions. You have to resort to doing things like having a drug-addled person mm-hmm. take care of someone that you love. Yeah. Yeah. That is really heavy. Mm-hmm. So is India. This, yeah. This, <laughs> so is figuring out that you know, that figuring out your own sexuality in yeah. your twenties. So yeah. this, is, this is great so far. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so then you so you're back. Uh, you're taking care of your. Are you got your dad taken care of at mm-hmm. this point? Mm-hmm. And then you enroll in grad school. So I'd, I'd finished grad school and my first, uh, or actually my second job out was working at LA County Jail. And so my dad's suffering, we don't have any means to take care of him, and that's when my wheels started ticking, like, okay, what can I do to solve this problem? And so I started, uh, while I was in the jails working as a social worker, I'd spend about 20 hours a week in, in between processing inmates, because there's a lot of downtime in jail <laughs> for inmates and me, and I would just spend that time reading books on real estate, you know, start off with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, listen to all these podcasts. That sort of thing. So you caught a bug somewhere. I did. I did. How did you catch that bug? Was it from Rich Dad Poor Dad? It was. Like, like with so many people. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so you catch wind of that book and you read yeah. it up and like light bulbs start going. Yeah, off. yeah. And so I just spent like the whole year, twenty hours a week, studying anything I could get my hands on that was uh, real estate related, podcasts, that sort of thing. And after a year of doing that, I moved up to Portland to start my investing uh, process. What attracted you to Portland? Um, you know, my, my wife at the time, uh, she was uh, trying to get into grad school, and so she got into Portland State University. We came up here and visited, fell in love with the place, uh, and it was so much easier to invest in Portland than L.A. So is this while you're uh, finishing up grad school, or you finished up at this point? And- yeah, all finished up, moved up here. I was in two or three years out. I'm a full you know social worker, licensed social worker doing work. Uh, even up here, I started at the Salem Psych Ward. I even worked at OHSU as a social worker. So I was a social worker, but I was starting my investing journey up here. Wow. So what was the first thing that you did? Uh, so as soon as I got here, I actually went uh, to an investor meeting, met Mike Nuss, who I heard was on the show too. Oh, wow. Um, started networking and uh, almost immediately started sending out like direct mail to find my first property and uh, did that in December. And this is when you're how old? What year, what year was this? Uh, this is in 2017. Okay. Yeah, 2017. Not, that, not that long ago. Not that long ago. Yeah. Wow. You've made some real progress here. Yeah. Thank you. Good yeah. Yeah. You. So 2017, uh, found that first duplex off market. Uh, Mike Nuss actually walked it with me and he said, if you're not going to buy this, I will. And I knew that that was a stamp of, I found a good one. <laughs> there you go. And yeah. were you a broker for Rarebird at the time? No, I wasn't a broker, just a social worker, just sending out direct mail, trying to find my first uh, live-in, you know, FHA loan. Duplex. But Mike took a shining to you and yeah. then you start and he started helping you out. Yeah, he started mentoring me and it started encouraging me. Find a mentor. Yes. There's the first golden nugget yes, of the day. Absolutely. So you buy so you buy a duplex. Yeah, buy do you, a duplex. Do you value add or what was your play? So it appraised for like fifty thousand more than I was paying for it. So I knew I'd found a good deal. Score. Um, tenant moved out. It was right when all those tenant relocation laws came in. So mm. you know, successfully managed moving the tenant out and moved into the unit, renovated it. 
And then my dad passed away. Mm. And uh, that was when I just realized I couldn't go back to work as a social worker. Like I'd watched my dad go to work for 50 plus years and uh, not my whole life, but he, his whole life pretty much and yeah. had nothing to show for it in the end. They had, they had no wealth and they had no ability to take care of him. And for yeah. me, I just couldn't imagine clocking back in mm. knowing that it was for somebody else's dream. Like I wanted to do what I wanted to do, which was to build wealth. Right. And I'm guessing you weren't really making a ton of money as a social water worker. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that first property, basically the equity that I gained when I closed was a social work salary. And I'd spent like 30 hours on that. So 30 hours making 50 grand versus an entire year as a social worker. To me, that was enough to quit my day job. Yeah. Sounds like it. Wow. So but when you quit your day job, you didn't exactly have a soft place to land at that no. point because <laughs> you owned a duplex and it sounded like you bought it on a rock. So you yeah. can get good financing, good financing yeah. and you were fixing it up. Yeah. But, um, that's actually the same thing that I did in my oh. origin story. The first thing I did was I bought a duplex. Oh. And if you haven't listened to the episode, um, a couple episodes ago, I talk about my first property purchase and is a duplex and it was in the ghetto and I fixed it up and it ended up being a great deal and it worked oh. out great. But I know that, uh, but I knew that after I quit my job after that, I didn't really have a whole lot else, uh, a whole lot else in front of me yeah. unless I really got after it. Yeah. And so is that what you did as well? Yeah. So I basically quit my job with about $16,000 in my checking account, which was not a big runway. And I well, got you my probably had minimum living expenses. Yeah, at this yeah, point. I was living on like yeah. two or three thousand dollars a month. So that was like you know five six months of runway. Yeah, I was twenty three yeah. as well and had like an overhead of like seven hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, month, so I was smart about it. And then uh, yeah, I immediately got my my broker license and I actually started in the pre foreclosure world. So I was headhunting people who were um, in default and I'd get in their living room and I'd try to pitch them uh, any number of solutions without you know trying to prevent them from going to auction basically so getting ahead of the auction by either you buying the property or listing the property actually not usually a lot of times it was uh you know the the redemption rights it was also uh trying to just rent it out until it went to auction for those people who are not familiar with redemption rights give us <laughs> give us the short summary yeah so oregon has this funny law that after it goes to foreclosure that the person who went into foreclosure has six months i believe to buy the house back for what's owed plus like nine percent interest which if you imagine somebody in foreclosure, they've been there probably five, 10 years. They're not gonna come up with that money in the next six months, they've lost the house. But mm -hmm. they can sell the right to redeem to an investor who then could use that to flip the house or whatever. Or if the investor bought it at auction and they didn't have the rights to redemption, then the person who owns that could go take the house back after it's fully remodeled. Yes, and that's led to some very interesting <laughs> scenarios where people have bought houses at auction yeah. and then fixed them up and then the house has been redeemed yes. for what's owed on the property. Yes. And then that person says, what the heck? I just yeah. uh, fixed this place up and now you're telling me that somebody else yeah. owns it? And the answer to that is, Yes, yes, that's exactly what is exactly happening what right had. now. So you don't want to be that guy. No, no, no. I was the other guy, the one trying to buy those rights of redemption. We weren't necessarily sneaking up on house flippers. It was more to be able to negotiate with the banks to get the debt lessened or to do short sale or that sort of thing. It was it was leverage basically with the banks. Gotcha. And you had Mike kind of guiding you on this. No, Mike, Mike didn't. I was actually teamed up uh, with Sean Morgan, who's a real estate attorney, and then also uh, Jim Lerman. Uh, those were my two business partners. Cool. Yeah. Shout out to Sean. I know that guy. Yeah, he's great. He's great. <laughs> Very cool. So, um, so what was your next deal? What, when did uh, things start picking up from there? Yeah. So after that, I had no money. Um, so I every day would just like wake up and uh, tell myself I'm going to find an off market 
property and buy it seller financed, either using other people's money or very little of my own. And I did that for about six months and I was cold calling 10 hours a week as a realtor trying to like headhunt those people in foreclosure and I accidentally stumbled across a guy who was a bankruptcy attorney and he happened to be the bankruptcy of attorney of a guy that I was headhunting who happened to be dead. <laughs> oh, wow. So it was an awkward moment when I was like, do you know so-and-so? And he's like, yeah, that's my client of 10 years ago. He's dead. Why are you looking for him? <laughs> <laughs> However, However, we started off a friendship right there, you know, pre-foreclosure and I'm, I'm pre-foreclosure realtor and he's a bankruptcy attorney. So we had a lot in common. And within a few months of that friendship, uh, he asked me to do a CMA on his, on his triplex. And when I looked it up, I could see that he'd owned it for about 20 years mm. and I knew in that moment that this was the property that I was going to get seller financing there you go yeah so so seller financing for those who are not acquainted oh, yeah. is when the seller acts as the bank exactly and it's really great in in that you can negotiate whatever terms you can negotiate mm -hmm. and without without any middleman a lot of times you're getting much more favorable terms yes. than a bank because bank has a lot more moving parts mm -hmm. big skyscrapers to pay people in but yes. seller finance done a handful of those transactions myself and I love them but um, I didn't do one until just the last few years oh yeah but uh, sounds like it was the transaction number two was mm -hmm. a seller finance deal for you so you got the bug on that yep yep and that really helped me accelerate my uh, growth as a, an investor because that turned into several other deals and partnerships with with uh, that bankruptcy attorney Very cool. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so that was a triplex so then at so this point you've already got five units mm -hmm. and You've been in the game for just a little bit like a year. Yeah, and so and so this so this goes on for a while and mm -hmm. but eventually you pick up the big out-of-state deal is that is yeah. that more or less what happens next um, so I picked up a duplex before that it was like a nice lot division situation I actually teamed up with Mike Ness on that and I kept the duplex they kept the lot divisions on it and it was a win-win we both walked away with about 100k there and you go. so that was a good one and then after that uh, you know COVID happened and rates were just an all-time low and all of a sudden that awesome 5% seller financing deal that I negotiated didn't look as awesome anymore <laughs> so I called up uh, the bankruptcy attorney his name's Kelly and I said hey would you mind if I did a refinance and maybe took that seller finance note, cut it in two, and moved half of it onto some other property so I'd have a lot of equity in the subject property to be able to do a cash out refi. So that's basically taking the debt from that property and uh, re-collateralizing yes. it. Yeah, exactly, onto two different properties. And so that left me with 205000 that I got to pull out of that triplex. Um, and that was my down payment for the 20 unit in Ohio. There you go. And it's 20 units in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And how did you find that thing? You know, I had some clients who, uh, on the broker side, that were telling me they were investing in uh, Ohio, and they introduced me to a realtor, and so he helped me find that off market. Nice, and that I remember. I remember hearing about this deal maybe at an investor lab event. Yeah. it sounded like it had some uh, had a few uh, had some hair on it. Yeah, it had some difficulties. So it turns out uh, the seller he he also seller financed it to me, which was great. Oh wow! But the way that they reported the income and financials was bogus, and so I got the property, and I realized, oh, actually three or four of the tenants are in jail they're not paying and so I took a lot of time to like just turn this property around and get a new property manager and oh wow um, and then on top of that I just didn't realize you know in Ohio it's really hot in the summers and you're obligated to provide air conditioning which is not something we are obligated to oh, do in Portland. Today I learned. <laughs> yeah and so I learned that the hard way and it basically 
you know, in one month it was really hot in Portland. It was also really hot in Ohio, and I had to buy five five thousand dollar AC units for units that were paying five hundred dollars a month. So that was, you know, very yeah, painful. Yeah, you can get by in Portland without any air conditioning. Yeah, you can. You yeah, totally one can. month out of the year, it gets a little uncomfortable. You can get a wall unit though, and you can get by just fine. Exactly. But in other parts of the country, it's mandated by law. It sounds yeah, like. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. So yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So you so you pick up the so you pick up the big one. At this point, you've got twenty some units. You've been in the game for what like you know four or five years mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And so that 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 had to be kind of the moment where you thought to yourself like, okay, I've I've arrived. I am now a full blown real estate investor. You built some wealth at mm-hmm. this point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was getting to that point. And, that, and that's kind of when I started to transition to more cash flow orientation. You know, I had all these properties. They're building wealth, and that's really great. Minimal cash flow, though. And so I started investing in syndications after that. In syndications. Okay. Yeah, just as an LP, as yeah, we were talking little, about yeah. before we were plunging. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And then also as a cash flow play, you are a high-producing mm-hmm. uh, realtor, real yeah. estate agent. Okay, that's that's where you and I diverge because mm-hmm. I've uh, done real estate brokerage, uh, sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, but I've never been like a top-producing broker. Mm-hmm. But you've got like a whole team, yeah. and these people are selling units, and uh-huh. you're at the top of the pyramid. Ex- uh, explain that business to us. Yeah, so when I first transitioned out of like the pre-foreclosure world and I decided, you know, I want to do something a lot easier than twisting people's arms to sell their house before they go to auction. Right. Uh, Let me do something more profitable uh, and let me just do like regular retail broker. When I did that, I, I met my business partner just a few months after I started thinking about building a team. And um Basically, we, you know, I, I created a format. He was an experienced broker. He had several years under his belt. I was brand new. Right. Um, but as I sat down with him to talk about, you know, what do you have to bring to the table? He said, well, I make about 450 a year. And I said, I can work with that. <laughs> yeah. So I just made him this deal. I said, hey, look, if I create systems and hire employees and I double the revenue of the company, I'd like to move from an 80-20 split where he's getting 80 and I'm getting 20 to a 60-40 split. And if I triple the business and make you 1.2 million or something around there, then I want to be a 50-50 partner. And so, you know, he thought that was a great idea. He didn't think I could do it. Six months, I doubled the company. That's definitely an offer you can't refuse. No, it's amazing. If I'm doubling and tripling your business, I want a bigger Bigger, bigger bite of the apple. Exactly. That makes completely sense. Anybody would take that. Yeah. So I I basically hired full-time admin, built all these systems. You know, we were paying for Zillow leads and started hiring on agents. And within six months, I had doubled the company. And within another year, I had tripled the, the revenue. That is a crazy rate of growth. It was. Yeah. Wow. And so, and, and that's really like ma- like doing making a business because they're mm-hmm. buying real estate, which is technically a business. Yeah. You're buying space, yeah. fixing it up, and renting it out to people. That's that's a business. But brokerage and making a team mm. that's like advertising, marketing. Yep. It's uh, HR. You know, yep. it's it's a bunch of things. And you had a sounds like a really rapid ascent in that. What was what was fueling that before it was like a drive mm-hmm. to financial independence? Is mm-hmm. this is this a lack of cash flow from <laughs> when you own rentals? A lot of times, cash flow is not going to put food on the table. Yeah. It builds wealth. It totally. So the so the realty play is sort of the income. Yeah. Instead of the cash flow. Yeah. Um, instead of the wealth building, that is. Yeah. So actually, what um, funny thing? So if my dad was the reason I got into real estate. My divorce was the reason I started my company. 
um, because I suddenly went from living on like, okay, $3,000 a month, that's what I'm used to as a social worker, to now I owe somebody a $2,000 nugget every month that, you know, after taxes means I need 3000 to get there. So I really need to double my income. And that's when I thought, okay, I need to start a team in order to do that. I need to maximize the amount of cash flow. And once I realized how to double the equation to triple and quadruple and eventually 10x my income, I mean, it was the same equation. You just keep adding more supportive staff, more systems. So you're putting in a dollar into advertising and getting a dollar twenty back. Mm-hmm. You're putting a dollar into recruiting agents yeah. to get a dollar thirty back. Exactly. And so you just keep building this. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of snowballs, essentially. Absolutely. Very cool. I love that. So, which brings us to today. You've got a winning realty team. Yeah. Cash flowing for portfolio of real estate. Mm-hmm. And all wealth and income both coming in. Yeah. That's the dream. That's a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, um, along the way, uh, we've got your watershed moments and your gut punches. Um, watershed moments. It's, it sounds like, I mean, I could pick a couple out, but, uh, one that kind of stands out is the big, um, is the big deal in Ohio, Mm. but maybe you all have something else in mind, uh, watershed moments where you think to yourself like, okay, um, this is the path. Mm. This is what I, this is what I need to do. I've hit, I've hit, I've hit the big time or I've, this is a sign Mm. that I need to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm. You know, I, I almost feel like I'm in that right now. Um, this past summer, I've you know been building my company for the last five years. I mostly uh, work with investors. I really love helping people build wealth. It's you know very synergistic to my own journey. Hmm. But there's this part of me that really wanted to find some meaningful, like more social work, you know, rooted work. Back and so, to your Indian slum yeah, roots. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I want to get back to my roots. And so it's kind of just putting that out there. I'm a big um, person on manifestation. And within maybe three or four days, I get this call from these guys out of Hawaii. And they um, have this nonprofit called Homes for Humanity where they basically buy properties and lease them back to nonprofits so that nonprofits can have whatever services they need. And so they asked me, they saw my bio, they saw that I went to India, that I'm an investor, that I'm this like nice over overlap of everything they're looking for. And so I got to work finding some nonprofits and I uh, found a, a great nonprofit called Cultivating Initiatives and they help uh, homeless folks um, with getting into housing and uh, medical services and jobs and that sort of thing. And that's close to your heart because exactly. of your sister. Yeah, it's close to my heart because of my sister. And it's also my first social work job was housing homeless folks. Um, oh, wow. And so I've, I've you know, firsthand experience going through that process with folks. And so um, I said, yeah, sign me up. And so we've partnered with uh, Cultivating Initiatives. We actually are pending on their first property. It's going to be a group home. And the idea is they need to place 60 people before June. And so I'm going to help them find the properties to create various group homes and, and apartment complexes. Wow. So they can Does this them. mean you get to go to Hawaii and uh, <laughs> look for real estate there? Or uh, Well, they got the Hawaii branch down, but I, I'm going to be the Portland contact, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's no shortage of uh, of homeless people mm-hmm. in Portland yeah. and no shortage of need for that exact exactly. thing. Exactly. Um, I mean, so this is a completely separate bag of chips and everything, mm-hmm. but um, I've heard stories that when you take homeless folks and you just move them into a place or you mm-hmm. give them a place to stay, you can virtually, uh, you've got a virtual guarantee that the place is going to be utterly and completely trashed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you've heard that too. Yes, absolutely. What are you guys going to do to prevent that and make sure that these guys or uh-huh. you don't take a financial hit from that? Yeah, so that's the master lease part. It's like the property is being acquired by Homes for Humanity, but cultivating initiatives is the local 
nonprofit providing the services and the housing. And so they're going to be master leasing the property. They're going to be responsible for those. And with every one of those vouchers is included several thousand dollars of money to do repairs. Hmm. Um, so it's built, it's built into it. But of course, there could be, you know, more. So we'll see kind of how it unfolds. <laughs> wow. Well, that's great. And so I, it sounds like that's kind of a watershed moment because mm-hmm. it's a real validation of just how far you come yeah. and being being basically handpicked mm-hmm. uh, for having like a social consciousness heart mm-hmm. and then also the real estate skills yeah. that can pay the bills. Absolutely. I love that. I love that for you. And gut punches. Oh, gut punches. Stuff, that, stuff, that, stuff that's gone wrong. So that's kind of well. I, I mean, easy one is crypto. Lost like fifty k there. That was stupid. Oh really? <laughs> so stupid. Doge, Bitcoin, <laughs> probably uh, the whole thing. The, I mean, who knows? All the all the little altcoins. Yeah. All the little, tons of little coins. You know, I should have played with that. Um, I think another. You know, buying that 20 unit and realizing on paper this thing looked great, but when you actually buy a property out of state, you, it comes with problems you just aren't even aware that you can have. And so that was a big gut punch. I'm actually going to sell that this year, you know, re reorganize so I can get better cash flow because that 20 unit only, only gets me like $1,000 a month. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, Ohio is <laughs> kind of a lower, yeah. uh, lower tier exactly. type of market. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So crypto... Finding out the one that you bought out of state wasn't all it's cracked up, yeah. it's cracked up to be. Um, yeah. What about, uh, so your dad uh, had got, mm-hmm. gotten Alzheimer's, yeah. and he was kind of an inspiration for mm-hmm. you to get into real estate. Yeah. Um, is he still with us today? So he passed away in 2017, and I would say like the real, you know, if we're talking about gut punch moments, and that year that was probably the hardest year of my life. Uh, in June, I lost my my dad, uh, and about three months later, um, my wife's cheating on me, and about oh, five no. five six months later, she's leaving me for that person, and so it was just and, and and I'm switching careers, right? I quit my job during that time, and I started as a real estate investor wow. and, and broker. So within one year, I just have huge losses and huge uh, huge shift in my career. So that's and like personally. a triple gut punch, right? It was there. a triple gut punch, yeah. Wow, and that really shook me and helped me to look at myself and go, what what was my role and as I looked around I saw my relationship and my business partnerships at the time and that sort of thing I realized wow I am not having good boundaries in my life I'm mm. not really advocating for myself and I'm, I'm kind of a pushover mm. and so that was a big turning point for me I, I decided I wanted to start my own team um, start you know leading and 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 not uh, not taking the short end of the stick anymore really kind of stepping into like a leadership type position mm-hmm. and kind of a leadership mindset it sounds yeah. like yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, in that process, her uh, suing me for alimony caused me to have to solve that equation. How do I make twice as much money? And so that moment of pain and grit of figuring out how to do that did turn into my, you know, multi million dollar company that I have now. Wow. That's mm-hmm. terrific. Wow. Good for you for adopting that mindset and kind of mm-hmm. rising above that. Yeah. That's it was amazing. terrifying. <laughs> it's really hard here. I mean, it's, it's in those moments that we really kind of see what mm-hmm. we're made of yeah. a lot of times. A lot of times, I mean, the reason I ask about watershed moments and uh, gut punches mm-hmm. is because oftentimes those are the things that really make us who we are yeah. and bring out the best in us. It's yeah. the people that really know how to get up off the ground after having been knocked down because I know you've mm-hmm. been knocked down, so have I, many, mm-hmm. many times over our careers. It's not the knockdown. No. It's getting back up. Mm-hmm. And, Believing in yourself. And so often after you get up, you end up being stronger than mm-hmm. when you first fell down. And yeah. so, and you're a great example of that. Mm-hmm. After, after surviving a year that was uh, divorce, <laughs> death of your father, mm-hmm. and this is uh, concurrently with... Uh, your homeless drug addicted sister having been mm-hmm. taking care of him. Mm-hmm. So it was an ongoing issue yeah, that yeah. finally uh, 
concluded, but holy smokes. Yeah, it was a really rough year. Wow. But then <laughs> but then it, but then that same year, 2017, mm-hmm. that was kind of when your real estate career really started yeah. blossoming, mm-hmm. was it not? Yeah, that's That's no I, coincidence. It's no coincidence, yeah. Yeah, so about a I think 2018 finally divorced. That was uh, that was when I started my company. And it grew from there and that was 5 5 and a half years ago. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. Man. You've done a lot more in five and a half years than I have. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. So we talked a little bit about uh, building wealth versus income and cash flow. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you you first concentrated on the building wealth with the rich dad, poor dad. And then you built the kind of the cash flow machine with the realty team. Mm -hmm. Is your plan to just continue uh, growth of both those things equally? Or are Mm -hmm. you more focused on one or the other? Yeah, so right now I think um, I've really so I got you know I've got the wealth side. I feel like thirty two units or whatever that uh, equity is. I feel like that's solid. I have enough. You know, there's a, there's a point at which I think it's really important to acknowledge I have enough. Uh, but on the income side, I'm actually I think transitioning more into this like nonprofit work. Um, I might be doing a little bit more coaching. I'm a licensed therapist as well. Um, one of the gut punches that we haven't talked about is I've been um, chronically ill for the last four and a half years, and doctors don't really know what it is, but I have really low What's blood. wrong with you? Uh, the main symptom is I have incredibly low blood pressure. I wake up like 80 over 40, um, which is usually when they put you on like uh, oxygen in a hospital. Wow. Um, and so I drink a gallon of salt water every day in order to artificially uh, increase my heart or my blood pressure. And I've been spending four and a half years trying to figure out why. We don't know. <laughs> you would you would never know it. Clearly, no. you're in good shape. I'm in good shape and now. And I've yeah. seen you wake surf before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it doesn't seem like it's affecting yeah. you day to day, but it sounds mm-hmm. like it kind of. It, but it it's uh. It's there. But it's there. Yeah, people don't know because uh, I went from being you know a year into it. Half of the days I couldn't get out of bed. I was completely immobilized. Uh, if I, you know, I'd wake up and my arms would be shaking, and I'd have a migraine. And I couldn't see, like nobody could touch me or make sound or anything. Like I was so fragile. And like Damn. when your blood pressure drops like that, it's uh, it's a it's a very dangerous thing. And it took me a year to figure out if I drank salt water, I could kind of <laughs> save myself. But that's still not you know addressing the underlying issue. And I, I've you know. I've, but we're not sure what the underlying no, issue even is. No, I got like a brain scan coming up and. Uh, a spinal scan and they're going to send me to university of washington to do a bunch of tests they're still trying and no to no working out. theory or anything i think so the working theory is that it's probably something called a dysautonomia uh, which is um, a group a cluster of different types of um, s- symptoms and, and disorders but more or less with the autonomic nervous system so things that control your heart rate your your blood pressure that sort of thing and often these things are actually triggered by either a trauma or like a really bad illness like lupus or Lyme's disease or something like that and so the running theory is I had that really hard year in 2018 and then Mm -hmm. 2019 this happened my body experienced the impact of all that stress wow you've had no shortage of the gut punches for sure no I've had quite a few yeah (laughs) and some of them are still ongoing (laughs) still going still fighting strong and yet you're, I mean, you've kind of acknowledged that, you know, you have um, enough at this point, yeah. at least to an extent with yeah. uh, the, you know, the portfolio mm-hmm. sort of building on itself. Yeah. And it sounds like you're kind of pivoting a little bit more towards putting your energy mm-hmm. toward more of like a personal spiritual yeah. validation and actualization type of deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, with nonprofits, mm-hmm. helping homeless people, mm-hmm. putting your, your wealth and knowledge to work. Yeah. Um, that's very commendable. Thank you. Because yeah. 
pretty much everybody who comes on this podcast, including myself, is about making big to bigger and biggest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> as best we can. Totally. Get as much shit as we can before time runs out. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but but you, in spite of uh, all the challenges you face, mm. are devoting your energy more toward uh, just like the good yeah. of mankind, it sounds yeah. like. And I commend you for that. Thank you. Very cool. Um, which brings us to... Um, other than altruistic endeavors, yeah. uh, where does your money go? What do you yeah. like? To, what do you like to do with it? You know, I love to travel. Um, I'm actually flying out to Turks and Caicos for about nine days. Yeah, like tonight, right? Tonight, yeah. yeah. For like a live aboard. Uh, I love scuba diving. I love traveling. Um, Are you just going solo or with friends? Or uh, like? My best friend Kenton. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna go together. He's, yeah. he's an economist at Nike, and yeah, just just love um, traveling, scuba diving, that sort of thing. Um, love uh i do like these big monthly dinner parties at my house oh. I have, like 30 40 people over and i just feed them we have a good time because you bought a nice house recently didn't you i did yeah i bought um robert rummer he's a famous uh mid-century modern architect um, yeah if you haven't seen a rummer house do yourself a favor mm-hmm. and google it and yeah. this isn't and this isn't just a rummer this yeah. is kind of the rummer the rummer it's his personal residence so i bought that a couple years ago that's a thing that yeah. is definitely a thing these things <laughs> sell very quickly and yeah. for high dollar amounts mm-hmm. and melissa owns the rummer from <laughs> the from from mr rummer himself yeah. so that's very cool yeah. and you actually have a little side hustle renting it out yeah. <laughs> by the hour do i have that right yeah i've been uh yeah music videos or uh, events or photography or whatever people will rent it by the hour because it's by such a hour. nice house yeah and how much does it go for per hour hundred dollars, yeah. hundred dollars per hour. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't know how much my house would rent out for, but it's less than a hundred dollars per hour. <laughs> yeah. I love that for you. That's that's very cool. Okay, so traveling, you got Robert Rummer's house, and but it sounds like most of your money and energy is going is going to uh, fixing the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've moved from uh, the most important thing is building wealth to the most important thing is impact. Impact. I'm make an impact now. Expand on what do you mean by that? Just societal impact, social yeah. impact. Yeah, I think like um, I yeah I wanted to really establish wealth for myself so that I had that safety and that security net that that it, my family didn't have. Mm. And once I got that that enough number for me, I realized okay, well, what is going to be meaningful? Because at some point, money wasn't motivating me anymore. Right, it wasn't going to change my lifestyle. Making an extra million dollars wasn't going to do anything substantial to change my life. And so it was like, well, what would be substantial? Well, making an impact. So I'm writing a book. I'm starting to do this nonprofit work. I want you know I, I can I, as a realtor. I can help maybe 30 to 50 families a year, which is great to help them build wealth. But if I write a book or if I uh, do public speaking, like I've been doing the last few years, like I can make a much bigger impact and change the hearts and minds of people around me. That is very cool. And plus you really, I mean, you have the leeway after, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're coming on this show, you've got an asset base of, you know, at least a million bucks, but if you've Mm -hmm. earned a few million bucks in life, there's, I kind of think about it as there's a cliff behind you that Mm -hmm. is absolute, like, you know, things are bad, food scarcity, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. not having clothes on your back. Yeah. That cliff for people like you and me is a long ways behind us. It's very unlikely that's Mm -hmm. going to happen. However, the next uh, plateau Mm -hmm. way out in front of us is like, what even is it? It's a a faster car, a jet, Mm -hmm. a bigger house, Mm -hmm. things like that, that I'm just not, you know, if I had that, I would be happy. It It would be nice. Yeah. But it's 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 not a goal for me, and it sounds like it's definitely mm. not for you. And it's at a level of wealth that mm. is uh, very very long di- distance, yeah. a long very long distance away. And you don't tend to get there in real estate very fast. No. Real estate is a great way to build wealth at a, at a slow rate of speed, but that's very steady mm-hmm. and reliable. If yeah. you really stick with it for a few decades 
there's a very good chance that you're going to not have to work anymore and be a multimillionaire yeah. and be more than okay. Yeah. If you're a tech entrepreneur, maybe you'll make a billion dollars overnight. And I'm <laughs> super happy for those people. But if you want to do that in real estate, you have to devote mm -hmm. a very large amount of your energy mm -hmm. to doing that exact thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that and that I know that have sort of kind of come to that realization. It sounds like you have mm -hmm. too. And being able to devote your energy mm -hmm. to something maybe a little bit more meaningful than just making ass loads of money yeah. <laughs> is maybe there is something to that. Yeah, it's and it also goes hand in hand with the fact that this stuff kind of builds on itself. Yeah. Like you, you, yeah. Can, just, you can just sit back mm -hmm. and let your real estate portfolio be professionally yep. managed, be a professional asset manager. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, your wealth is going to continue to accumulate. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, you can go to Turks and Caicos and yeah. go scuba diving. <laughs> yeah. You can devote your time to a nonprofit organization yeah. that's helping the hundreds of homeless yeah. people in this very town, yeah. which I complain about constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, what I'm actually doing about it is a whole lot less than what you're oh, doing about you. it. And so, so I think that's I think that's really great. And it sounds like both of us have kind of come to that same realization. Yeah. But yeah. it sounds like you're doing a whole lot more with it. And so I commend you for that. Oh, thank you. It's exciting. Very cool. So um, your morning routine. <laughs> yeah. Take us take us through. I'm dying to know because we all saw the six pack, Melissa. <laughs> it's, it's 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 no it's no secret anymore. <laughs> you're in shape. You're a dream rat. Um, what are you doing every morning? Yeah, so I wake up usually 5.30 or 6, and I get to the gym, have my protein shake on the way, and I spend two hours lifting, uh, basically six days a week. Um, and I just kind of cycle through two different... Um, You're lifting six at 6 a.m., six days a week. Yeah, get to the gym between 7 and 9, yeah, and I'm lifting for those two hours. Slow pace, you know, I don't want to stress my body out, but just go a nice slow pace, and I'm hitting every muscle group twice a week. And uh, sometimes I'll do cardio, like boxing or, you know, that sort of thing. And then once I get home, you know, have my coffee, have a slow morning. I like to start my work day around 10. Try not to do any appointments before that because that the whole reason of becoming a millionaire for me was having a good lifestyle that I could enjoy. And for me, having a great lifestyle is starting off. Uh, the gym is my temple. I just want to spend some time there and, and invest in myself. Very cool. And you've got ample time because if you're getting up at, at that hour, because yeah. whenever I have my early gym mornings, I'm getting up about that same time. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm back home helping the kids <laughs> yeah, yeah. get off to school at eight. And then yeah. as soon as they're at school, I'm on my phone and yeah. getting, getting right after it. I should take a page out of your book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it sounds like the slow morning. It sounds like there might be something to that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I love, I love that routine. Very cool. Um, how do people uh, reach uh, reach you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, Melissa Dorman. Very simple. Uh, same thing, Facebook, and then um, my my realtor group is Catalyst Group Northwest. Um, and then I'm gonna be um, getting a book out there this year, hopefully. Oh, that's right. You, I completely <laughs> yeah. forgot. We were plugging your book. Oh what, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the book. Yeah. So the book is called Being Rich Is Gay, and Being Rich Is Gay. <laughs> Being Rich Is Gay. <laughs> And Can I say that in like a <laughs> in like a fifteen year old voice? Being rich is gay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's really like uh, you know, as I grew up, there was a lot of 
a lot of times where people would use that as a derogatory term like oh you're gay right and i think within or it's like oh that's so gay that's so gay and it means bad right and so not only in my journey have i reclaimed for myself my authentic you know queer self but then on the other side of that i think within progressive communities like social workers and that sort of thing in the city of portland there's a real um, animosity towards wealth and capitalism and that sort of thing and the problem with that is when people think that it's bad to be wealthy, then they're not going to become wealthy. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so glad you're plugging this book. I had no, I'd never heard it till just now. Oh yeah, what yeah. it was all about. But I'm so glad to hear yeah. that you are going to infiltrate these sort of like leftist progressive <laughs> yeah. type uh, uh, institutions mm-hmm. and let them know it's not evil. It's, it's good. not evil. Look at me. Yeah, and I'm gonna and I'm, I really want to create. You know, something that's really great about the queer community is we often take things that are ugly in society. You know, we gentrify neighborhoods, we make beautiful museums, we make beautiful art, we we do people's hair, makeup, you know, like all that stuff, right? We, we take things that are ugly in society, we make it beautiful. And so I wanna take capitalism and I wanna take wealth building and I wanna paint it in a beautiful, inspiring manner. And the way that I've built my wealth has been through win-win opportunities. And the stuff that I'm doing with the nonprofits is an example of how you can create a win-win using capitalism using investor dollars to fund nonprofit housing so that homeless people can get housed or the way you do seller financing because you buy it directly from a seller and that money doesn't go to Chase Bank. It now goes in the pockets of a local community person and that's a win-win. And so I want to teach people that capitalism can be a win-win and it can promote our communities. I love this. How can I how can I buy this book? <laughs> well, I'm hopefully going to be done with it by the end of the year. Um, but if you follow me on on Instagram, by the end of 2024, yeah, 2024. like 12, I've got to wait 12 more months <laughs> yeah, for this. Months. I got like 20 more chapters to write, so I okay, got some time. Okay, <laughs> okay, sorry. Your morning routine has now changed. Yeah, yeah. Now it's I'm gonna now write. no longer the slow morning. <laughs> You're going to finish this book. Yeah. So that it'll be done by the end of I don't know next month, and <laughs> yeah. so then we can get this out there because the world needs this yeah, book. Yeah, true. They they, they, true. they they absolutely need it. I didn't expect to be as as stoked as I am about this book, but here we are. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Um, Thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. It was a pleasure. Uh, Melissa Dorman, everybody. Thank you so much. So that's Melissa Dorman. Man, I just never get tired of a great rags to riches story. And in this case, I don't think it could have happened to anybody better. I'm a little disappointed that we're going to have to wait for her book to drop, but maybe by the time you're listening to this, the book will have dropped. So Google it, order a copy as soon as you can. But either way, I know it's going to be worth the wait because I know it's a message that the world needs to hear. You heard Melissa say during our conversation that her goal is to take capitalism and wealth building and paint it in a beautiful, inspiring manner. And I love this. I think far too often people with a left-leaning political persuasion are just categorically against anything capitalistic. And I hope those people listen to Melissa and listen to this podcast. Yes, people often pursue profit irrespective of any collateral damage, and that's not a good thing. We can agree on that. It's good to have guardrails in place to protect people and protect the environment. But how far should you take that? How much can you impact a business's bottom line in service of theoretically helping the many before a line is crossed and the businesses just don't want to operate in your locale and they take their businesses elsewhere? For both me and Melissa, we both buy and own property out of state, partly because in Oregon, Portland in particular, the government is just not business friendly, at least not to property owners. Red states have some laws that I don't agree with, but with regards to landlord-tenant law, it's no pay, no stay, and you can take back possession of your property with any reasonable notice. In Portland, any eviction is lengthy, costly, and takes months or even years. 
And if you want to take back possession of your property, you're ponying up thousands of dollars to tenants and lawyers. There's even lawyers now that specialize in shaking down small-time landlords because they know it's cheaper to pay the mob than it is to fight them. So my message to anyone out there in listener land who's either making laws or voting for them, and that's pretty much everybody, is to consider people like Melissa Dorman when you're crafting policy, and don't drive people like her away. Thanks for listening to this episode of Frozen Millionaires, and thanks in advance for leaving us a review on Apple or Spotify. We'll see you next time, where we will once again be embracing the cold to ignite the dream. See you then.